My responsibility is to care and lead the pastors in helping them to become their best and to work with churches to help them become who God created them to be and then plant new churches. And in that, there's a bunch of administrative stuff that I try to delegate as much as possible and hand off so that I can invest more and more of my time and energy in our pastors. This is actually the first church I've visited since the election. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't travel every weekend. That was one of the things that we uh, shifted a little bit. I have um, a 14-year-old son at home who starts high school this week and a 12-year-old daughter who starts seventh grade this week. And part of what's important to us as a family is worshiping together, being a part of community together, growing together. And um, I couldn't model that. I couldn't call pastors. I couldn't call anybody else to that if I wasn't living it. If I'm not living it. If I'm on the road every weekend in a different place, then it's not really good for my own soul, my own ability to connect with me, my family. And so we travel once, or I travel once or twice a month. Sometimes my kids come with me. A lot of times I meet with churches and leaders during the week, and it's just a little different way of, of doing things. But um, we're excited about this district, excited about what God wants to do. It's kind of a unique district in that we're about an hour, hour and a half away from the largest church in our denomination, and then we have lots of small churches. And um, for the last 10 years, I've led a small church. I led a small church to close and restart in a small town, not much larger than Covington. And God did some remarkable things during that time, and it was a great honor and privilege. And one of the things that I learned is how wonderful small churches really can be. That we're all called to do the work of the, the kingdom, and it looks different in all kinds of places. But that we have to step toward and continually ask this question, what is God asking us to do? It's not about getting bigger. It's not about offering lots of ministries. It's about what is God asking us to do. This morning, I want to take us to um, an unusual Christmas story uh, from the book of Revelation. And we're going to jump into that in just a minute. But before I do, I want to pray. And again, um, because I need it, and I think it's always good to allow God to speak before any of us. So let's just take a moment, and then um, I will begin. Father, you're good, and you're faithful. You show up and are present and are with us in so many ways. So we just take this time and we ask for your help to lean in, to be aware of your presence, and to hear your voice, to hear you speak to us, for you to tell us who we are, for you to tell us what you're inviting us to be and do. Would you be honored in every word and may it be your truth spoken, dispelling the lies of the in Jesus name. So um, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I have a 14-year-old son, and um, not so much now as he's going into high school, but when he was little, he loved dragons and dinosaurs. Anything big with lots of teeth, scary, breathe fire, fly, all of the things that I think a little boy wishes 
they can do, right? The bigger, the better, the darker, the more flames, the more explosive, the more wonderful it is. So I, I loved being able to talk with him about the first dragon, the dragon we find in Scripture. But the first dragon, it really wasn't dark and uh, scary. It wasn't breathing fire in the beginning. It was something completely different. We find the story of the first dragon in Revelation chapter 12. I'll read some verses from there in a few moments. But um, we find this dragon... And he doesn't live off in the caves and in the mountains. He doesn't live um, just skulking in the shadows. In fact, the first dragon lives in the king's court. He lives in the very place where the king resides. And he doesn't have dark scales. In fact, it's beautiful, glowing white scales that reflected the light, almost to where it looked like he would glow himself. Sometimes he thought it was his own glow, but he was really just reflecting the light. And he didn't breathe fire. In fact, deep from within him, music would emanate. It would just come out every time he breathed these beautiful songs that celebrated the king. They told the stories of the king's triumph. And people traveled from everywhere in the kingdom to see the dragon. They would come to the court to, to reflect in the, the, just the beauty of the glow that just came off. They would stop and they would listen, sometimes for hours, to the songs that came out with every breath of the dragon. He loved it, loved the attention. Love singing to the king, for the king. But then, then something changed. There was a day with a big announcement. The king was going to have a child. This big announcement. The queen is pregnant. And he was excited. Sang songs at first. And, and it was just this continually joyous thing. But over the, the first couple of months after this announcement, he noticed that more and more people were coming to see the queen instead of him. They would, they would come into the courts and walk right by him like they didn't see him to celebrate the coming birth of this child. And they would bring gifts to the queen. And again, he tried to shrug it off. He tried to get some attention, singing a little louder, but people just kept walking right by him. Until, until the scales, they started to dim and darken a little bit. And he found the songs harder to sing. And as the months passed, he started moving out of the light and into the shadows along the corners and edges of the court. Every passing month, his voice grew quieter. Something else began to take the place of the music inside of him. That changed his appearance. It changed his attitude. It changed even his perception of the king himself. 
He knew he had to do something. He had to find a way to get the king's attention and everyone else's attention again. The jealousy was just burning in him. He thought, the only thing I can do is get rid of this child. It was this child who changed everything. And so he started plotting and planning. It's been six, seven, eight months now of people coming to see the queen. The time was getting close. And his plan, his plan was to sneak up the tower, staying in the shadows just before dark, and wait. Wait until he heard the infant's first cry, and then, then he would snap. Then he would grab that infant, and if the infant was gone, surely everyone would be there to celebrate him. So he waited. He waited in the shadows for that moment. He heard the infant's cry, and he lunged for the child, but he missed. And all of the king's soldiers rushed in, and this massive battle began. Up and down that tower, all the way through the castle, and out, out the king's court was a bloody battle. Over and over and over for hours and days they battled until finally the king's soldiers won and kicked him out of the castle, ran him out of the kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 through 12, because then I heard a loud voice say, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from them. Therefore rejoice heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Having been cast from the kingdom, he starts to look more like the dragon we've heard of. The dragons we see in the movies today, and he's hiding in the caves in the darkness, licking his wounds, biding his time. His scales have gone completely dark, and all that burns within him is a hatred for everything the king loves and everyone the king loves. Deep within him, this burning fire continues to grow until it just emanates with every breath. He stays in that cave for so long that some people started to hear the story of what happened as just an old myth, an old tale. Some, 
Some denied the dragon even really existed ever. Some thought he didn't exist anymore. It was just the way he wanted it. He wanted them to believe that he wasn't there. He wasn't real. When the time was right, he started sneaking out. He would fly just around dusk when the clouds were starting to darken and he could hide amidst the shadows. And he would just silently soar over the kingdom. He'd look and see children laughing and playing in the fields. Fathers and children fishing in the brook. Families eating together and the hatred just kept growing. And then one night, just before dusk, he noticed this boy, 10, 12, fishing along the stream by himself. And in an instant, and as silently as a whisper, he snatched that boy and he flew him back to the cave. And he took him deep into the cave and left. And then he would sneak up just within earshot. And he'd whisper, You're nothing. You're nobody. No one cares about you. No one's coming for you. No one loves you. You're all alone. No matter. And he would disappear back into and wait, sometimes a couple of hours, sometimes a couple of days, and he'd come back and whisper it again. You're nothing. You're no one. No one cares about you. You're all alone. No one's coming. You're nothing. You're nothing. And after about a week or two, he took the boy and put him right back. He waited. He waited to see if anyone would come looking for him, but nobody did. And so he did it again. This time it was a mom. You're nothing. You're nobody. Nobody cares. Nobody sees. Nobody's coming. You're unloved. And week after week, men and women and children. One at a time, deep, dark, in the silence, all alone. Nobody. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. Nobody's coming. One night. And every time he did this, little by little, something inside of him began to. Communities began to crumble. Families turned on each other as everyone was trying to prove what they kept hearing in their minds wasn't true. It even affected the land, the 
brook dried up and the trees were like winter all the time, never seemed to bloom. And the grass turned brown and the community was just different. The kingdom was different. This has made the dragon brave. And he flew all the way across the kingdom to where the castle was. And he noticed. He noticed one of the king's children. All alone, just before dark. He took the king's child. And he took him deep into the cave. And he whispered nothing to no one. But he didn't he didn't realize that in the time that he had been licking his wounds and biding his time and waiting, that that firstborn child, the one that he had tried to kill that night, had grown into a man. He had grown into a warrior himself and led the king's men now. And as soon as the king heard what had happened, he called his son, his first one, and said, Go. Go rescue your brother. And he rode day and night across the kingdom. See the devastation everywhere he went. Until he found that cave, calling out to the dragon, inviting him to come finish what he had tried to start those years before. A battle began between the prince and the dragon. Like you could only imagine, back and forth, for three days they fought. There was this moment in exhaustion, where the dragon knocked the prince to the ground, stood over him, and with a roar that you could hear across the entire kingdom, swiped. The prince was down. The dragon thought he He began to boast, stand up proud, but he exposed himself and the prince rose to his feet and in one swipe, the sword took out the dragon. He went deep into the darkest parts of that cave and found his brother and brought him out. And all the while as they rode back, he reminded him, you're mine. I love you. I will always come for you. You're mine. I love you. I'm here with you. I will always be here with you. Little by little, the grass began to turn green again and the trees began to bloom. The brook babbled once more and the birds sang. 
but the voice. The voice was harder to kill. This he would lay away in darkness. They hear it again and nothing. No one. Nobody cares. Sometimes you hear it in the rustling of leaves. Sometimes they thought they'd see the shadow of the dragon in the clouds. And that voice is haunting. Maybe you've heard it. truth is we all hear. In John 8, 44, Jesus calls the dragon, he calls our enemy, he calls Satan the father of lies. And he loves to tell us that, boy, you're nothing. You don't matter. You'll never be enough. Good enough, smart enough, no one cares. You're unloved, you're all alone. People will only care about you. You're only loved when you do enough or you're perfect or you're successful in some way. The enemy knows us. He knows where our wounds are. And he knows how to get that lie right into that wound until we spend our lives believing it and trying to overcome it. So easy to live by the lies. So easy to live by the lies. To let them guide our decisions, our actions. To let them shape everything. We have a choice. You see, the king speaks too. In Isaiah 43, Starting in verse 1, he says, this is what the Lord says. This is what the King says. The one who created you. The one who formed you. You see, he shaped you, made you intentionally as you are. Just don't be afraid. I have rescued you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. Before all else, before every lie, before every failure, every success, every wound, the God of all creation, the King, whispers, you are mine. Above and beyond everything else, below everything else, you are It says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you away. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior, your rescue. In Revelation 12, 11, triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and the See, we have this tendency to hear those lies and repeat them in our mind. We have this tendency to let them take root and we say them over and over. We let them exist in 
And we have to join our voices with the voice of truth. To remember that the blood of the Lamb, that the Prince has come to our rescue and He has defeated our enemy. And we join in that battle with the word of our testament, with the things that we say. The ways that we speak to ourselves and others. You see, we have this tendency to lie to ourselves as well. And then believe it's true. We need to learn to speak the truth. You're created by Him. Formed by Him. Intentionally. And just as He looked at His Son, Jesus, before He had done a single miracle, performed a single thing, and said, this is mine. I'm well pleased. He sees you before you do any good thing, that was mine. I'm pleased with all You are loved. You are chosen and accepted and given a purpose. Ephesians tells us you were created to do good works, created for a purpose. Can, can I tell you something that's not about us necessarily personally. But I think you and I, we all have a choice. We have a choice to we have a choice about who we're going to listen to. Whose words are going to define us? The creator or the enemy? The king or the dragon? Are you going to believe the lies or are you going to believe the truth? And that will shape everything else about your life. How you see and view yourself based on the words of the dragon or the king will determine the kind of man or woman you are. It will determine the kind of husband or wife you are, the kind of child, the kind of student, the kind of employee. It will determine everything about who you are. Will we live by the lie? Or will we let the truth set us free? And live into the call. To live into the invitation to be speakers of truth. I was reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 this morning early, and I noticed something. It says that we're not supposed to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. But then the part that I really noticed was only what is helpful for encouraging and building others up according to their need. <laughs> Untimely truth is not helpful. Truth that People are not ready to hear and not helpful. We have a tendency as Christians to want to yell the truth out of the world that truth doesn't care. Right? So learning to speak timely truth that's encouraging and helpful and building each other up, we're invited to that. To be the truth tellers, to speak in love and grace according to people's need, inviting them to see what is real. To hear and notice that these are whispers of the end. We are not. I invite people to hear the whole truth. I also want to make sure that we as a church today hear the truth. Because I've noticed over the last 10 years that churches hear and believe the enemies of the lies, uh, of the, the lies of the enemy as well. Especially small churches. We struggle. 
See, we have a tendency as small churches to think, we don't really matter. We're not really going to be able to make a difference in the community. We're too small. We're too this. We don't have that. And we compare ourselves with others. And we hear the whispers of the love. Those whispers of the images, they just stick with us. And what I've noticed is that once churches believe these lies, they turn inward. They get really good at taking care of each other, but nobody else. They're really intimate and loving. And I hate that I'm on Facebook to say this or wherever that thing is recording to, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes walking into churches is like walking in on a couple making out. It's really intimate, but you don't want to be there. Right? Like, they're really good to each other. You don't want to be a part of that. And that's what happens when we believe the lies. We have a tendency to turn inward. We get good at taking care of each other, but we make no impact on the community around us. And I want to remind us as the church that God has put you here on this street, in this town, at this time, for a purpose. That his mission, his his great commission to go and make disciple teaching and baptizing is your great commission as well. It's not just theirs or that church's, it's ours. That the call to make disciples, to reach the lost as witnesses for him, to multiply, is ours. And we have to remember who we are. We have to remember that we are created and formed and shaped and chosen and placed by God. And that he has put his spirit in the body of Christ. He has filled us with his spirit for a purpose. We remember who we are. And we embrace the hope of what's possible. And we go and live a great mission. It's the call to each one of us. It's the call to his church. May we be about the word. The pastor can come and lead us in prayer. So thankful for that word. Self-talk matters. Truth matters. And as a church, we're called to be that that light and that truth to the world. And uh, thank you for that word. And I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have some instruction for us after that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are the truth. That in a time where truth can be relative, that we can lean on you, our rock, and we can know who we are in you. That we can ignore the lies of the dragon and lean into your word. That you are our great king. Let us follow you and surrender and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray.